Hello, everyone, and inside today's episode of Locked On Canadians, just because it is the All-Star break does not mean we are taking a break from you. It is a very special All-Star weekend edition of the Friday Mailbag. Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 778 of Locked on Canadians. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. Of course, I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Matlin. I'm joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. And Laura, uh, it's very oddly scary Quiet across Canadians fandom today. Uh, the Laval Rocket don't play until Friday and Saturday before their own all-star break, but not much going on, which means it is time for a full actual Friday mailbag. Is that correct? That's it. That's all we're doing today is a mailbag. And I'm going to get started right away. This comes from Carlina. First off, I just want to say that I absolutely love your show. Oh, my God. I love you, Carlina. I always try to, like, leave off, like, the compliments so it doesn't look like we're bragging. Uh, but I forgot this time. Here is my question for the mailbag. Michael Bunting will become a UFA in July. Do you think the Canadians should try to sign him? Well, he's going to be 73. I was going to say Michael Bunting's going to be eligible for AARP retirement and... Okay, here's the thing, though. As a depth player, I actually, I like it. Here, So, like, I look at his thing here is that, okay, five points in one game with Arizona, uh, 13 and 21, 63 and 79, 35 and 52. He very clearly can put up points when put in the position, but I also look at his position in the Toronto lineup where he is constantly playing with one of John Tavares and William Nylander or Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner who are elite superstar players my fear with signing a player like michael bunting coming out of this situation is his value is going to be way way up here and he's, he's not going to hit that same level yeah he is not going to hit that same production because we cannot give him the same quality line mates that he had while uh in toronto which is not a slight the Canadians do not have an Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner right now if they get Connor Bedard we'll talk but it it the idea makes a ton of sense style player makes a ton of sense does this direct player make a ton of sense no because he's gonna get paid by someone else and I do not think the Canadians also could even afford him in this offseason if they wanted to I, yeah, I mean, I like him as a player, but it's very much like you said, he's going to be overpaid. He's going to come overpaid. Uh, Daniel asks, it's pretty clear Jonathan Drouin needs a fresh start, even though it'll make my Drouin mug vintage. Where do you see him fit in the middle six role that he should be in? So like what team, like I do agree that he should be a middle six player. What team do you think that he would fit on? 
I, I, I honestly think it's going to end up being like Colorado. Honestly, it, it makes almost too much sense that they value a team with skill and can insulate him uh, very well. I, I was going to say New York, but that New York seems more likely for like a Josh Anderson. I could almost see a team like the Bruins too. And as gross as that is to say, who are just trying to load up on as many pieces as possible, uh, giving him a line where he can just distribute the puck to shooters like a Taylor Hall or on the power play to David Pasternak, where, you know, Patrice Bergeron is there to help uh, kind of cover some of his flaws. He's going to go to a team that has the talented stars to help kind of cover for what his deficiencies are. And in Montreal, that's not here. I still think Colorado is the likely destination. It wouldn't shock me if a team like Florida even comes knocking, looking for a bit of skill and depth as well. So how bad do you think the haters would be if he did end up on the Bruins? I mean, I could, I could, we talked about this yesterday in the episode before that I talked about it. It doesn't matter what I say. It's going to be the wrong answer regardless, depending on who I ask. Uh, Bruce on YouTube. What are your opinions of Mike Matheson? Good? Bad? Neutral right now, I guess. I I haven't seen enough of Mike Matheson this season to actually fully generate an opinion on how he plays. He does change the entire outset of how the defense plays at 5-on-5. Five five. On the power play, I think he struggled a little bit. And admittedly, I'm still very sad that Jeff Petrie got traded out of here. But at the same time, I haven't exactly seen Petrie lighting it up in Pittsburgh either. Right now, I think both guys have had a first year to kind of write off and forget about. Uh, I do think Matheson is going to end up being a very valuable piece for this defense. And someone, Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, and Jordan Harris can learn a lot from based on their mobility and play. Uh, I could mirror a little bit of what he does as well. Uh, as of right now, it's neutral. I think he can be better than he's at, and I don't think he's played absolutely terribly either. Adam, you on Twitter. Mailbag question. Jackye is a freaking beast. That's it. That's the, that's the question. I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't really argue that I'm pretty sure. Um, Senators fans might, but I don't care. Uh, I love the kid. I really do. I continue to be absolutely astounded by where he's at right now, based on what I thought he was going to end up being uh, at this point last year. I'm going to ask this mailbag question solely as a plug for one of our next week episodes. Mailbag question. Can you do player grades for the prospects as well during the bye week and also discuss whether you see them in the organization at the start of 2024-2025. So we're getting lovely special guest, friend of the show, favorite of the of, of, of the listeners, uh, who will be coming back next week. Um, and that's all I'm going to say, but we are going to do player grades for the prospects during the bye, like you asked, Jer. Uh, and we will discuss whether or not we see them in the organization at the start of the 24-2025 season. Yeah, it, it, we have a lot lined up. I have... Some emails out into the ether that I'm waiting to hear back on. We have a lot of guests lined up. We are very excited to bring you a huge week of bi-week content, honestly. Um, fingers crossed everything lines up the way we need it to. 
Uh, we do have plenty more mailbag questions. Those are all coming up in our next segment. But first, as we said, this episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. And this year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And we are really excited about our new sports betting partner for lockdown because they're the number one sportsbook in America, and that is FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on uh, sports fun and easy. Uh, And if you download FanDuel right now, you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet where you'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And with the money line being an option, point spreads, who's going to score the first touch on their options everywhere. It's going to be the Eagles. It's going to be the Chiefs. It's going to be a banger Super Bowl. Go Birds. Plenty of bets on there for you to choose from. And FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid on your winnings instantly. So if you cash in on that first touchdown bet, you can cash out instantly afterwards and get your money. Go buy more pizza and wings for your Super Bowl party if you have to. Honestly, super easy to use. I'm not a big sports betting person overall, but even I can get into and use this app like that. So if you join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash Lockdown, you can claim your first no-sweat bet for Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash Lockdown. And remember, make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. We are back here at Lockdown Canadians, and I realize I forgot to tell you where you can send future mailbag questions to at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter, into the DMs if you are polite, LockdownCanadians at gmail.com, and the YouTube comments. Also, be polite. Don't be a jerk. Nobody has time for that. Laura, what else do we have in our mailbag today? I'm not talking to you anymore because you just did a Go Birds. Go Birds? What? Okay. We're going to get into that after the show. Uh, But for the record, we're no longer friends. (laughs) Uh, Mailbag question. Edmonton trades first round pick and Jesse Pugliarvi and his 3 million cap and maybe center Ryan McLeod uh, to Montreal for Edmondson and Drouin or Dadnov and Montreal holds half of each of their cap hits. Then the money would work. Edmonton gets a D-man and forward for their playoff run and Montreal gets a center to replace Evans. And to experiment with Jesse Pugliarvi if there's a fit. So peek behind the curtain. This is one of the Mailback questions that got lost when we recorded an entire episode last week and then Restream ate it. Uh, so we did discuss this before. Um, that is not a lot of return for Jesse Pugliarvi and McLeod. I don't think Edmonton values Jesse Pugliarvi all that highly. I think we've seen that people like a third or a fourth might get it done to get Jesse Pugliarvi out of Edmonton. Obviously, the cap hit has to be balanced out for the Canadians. I don't know what depth forward they would take. I don't think it'd be Drouin just because I don't think he fits the style that they're looking for. Admittedly, I think they'd be interested in Josh Anderson, but that would be Anderson or Edmondson, not both in the same trade. Uh, And admittedly, I would want more for Josh Anderson anyways than just Jesse Pugliarvi in that. I'm not opposed to it. I don't know much about Ryan McLeod, but I do think the Canadians need another center on this team until other people get healthy. And I think he fits the role of, hey, here's guy, here is body to play right now. Uh, the big thing, obviously, is Jesse Pugliarvi, who I think would be a lot of fun to play with Kirby Doc or Nick Suzuki just based on his style of play. I love the idea of it. 
the one sticking point I have is that Kenton Hughes has said, I don't want to retain salary in the deal. I do think that will change a little bit going into the trade deadline here. If he's looking to finesse a move, um, I don't really see a downside with it. Honestly, uh, I can see Oilers not wanting to do that because they are giving up likely the most valuable two assets in this trade. But we know, and we said it a ton of times before, there's so much smoke around Jesse Pugliarvi and Joel Edmondson and everything in the two cities. Something's got to give at some point. So we've got a question from Adam Yu. It's a two-parter. One, does Justin Barron's emergence make Edmondson or Savard getting traded a certainty? No, because I'm pretty sure Joel Edmondson was going to get traded at one point or the other anyways. Uh, when Ken Hughes took over, I assumed anyone that Mark Bergevin had signed in those last two years, unless they proved they could stick, uh, was on basically, hey, you're probably going to get shipped out here unless you prove you can stay in the lineup. I think David Savard isn't a, wasn't a certainty this year, but I think he might be next year as a trade deadline rental. Uh, Joel Edmondson, I've thought basically since he got healthy, is it's only a matter of time before some team bites on this, and that was before Justin Barron got here. And I don't think Barron's emergence made it any more certain or uncertain just because they play different styles of hockey. I think the emergence of Arbor Jack guy and Caden Gooley as like bona fide NHL players has made a difference. Justin Barron was always going to need a little bit more time anyways. I just didn't realize so many other young guys were, were not going to need that same amount of time, I guess. So this is a follow-up that touches on what you just said. It seems like they want the young defensemen to play and they're running out of available spots. It seems like they have too many younger guys like Gooley, Harris, Barron, and Jack Eye to invest in Kovacevic. How much longer will he be on this team? I think Kovacevic will be back next year, to be honest with you. I think he's a perfectly cromulent bottom pairing defenseman. There's not a lot of panic to his game. He makes smart decisions. He reads the game well defensively. And I think once they kind of get the team back on track. He's a very useful piece basically. And that even if he's the set, the rotating guy out, that's okay. Uh, he doesn't have to be a top four defenseman on the team next year. Cause Caden Gooley will be back. Mike Matheson will have an entire healthy year. I think he's perfectly fine as like a five, six on this team. And I hope that they bring him back because he's been a really nice additional piece to this team. He's not flashy, but he does the little things right. And out of a third pairing defenseman, who's probably mostly going to play defensive zone minutes. That's exactly what you look for. Risk is great if they can manage it, but for Kovacevic, I think he just does a good job at doing what needs to be done with the puck at all times. I think he'll come back next year. Super cheap deal. They can put stash him in the AHL if they wanted to, where I think the rocket would love to have him. But I think he's going to be back at least next year on a one-year deal. Uh, and then Goalie Droid asks, what do you think can be done to get Doc to shoot more? At the start of the season, he seemed reluctant to shoot and always trying to get the goalie to move, the, to, to, move to tuck the puck in. And now he shoots, but it seems like it's only at wide-open nets where you don't need a shot to beat a goalie. So has that been your observation, Scott? Yes and no. Uh, I think a lot of people on the team could stand to shoot more. Caulfield overthought it a lot earlier in the season. Uh, Jesse Yolanan during his call-up overthought it a lot, is that sometimes you, he makes a great move, and then he tries to make another one to pass instead of just shooting. Uh, Kirby Doc, I haven't noticed a lot, but my thought is 
Uh, they make dog training collars that spray a burst of air or not irritant, but like water or something in your face when they bark, or you can trigger it with a remote is that basically put one of those collars on him. And that every time he passes up an open shot, you spray him in the face, whether it be during practice or a scrimmage or anything like that. And that way it's ingrained in his head during the game that when he sees that opportunity, Oh, I better shoot it. It's all it's Pavlovian dog training, baby. It'll work just well without the bell, I guess. But uh, in all seriousness, I think he, everyone on the team could stand to shoot more in some circumstances because high quality chances are great, but you might as well create something out of nothing. If you can, we have another short one or no, uh, the rest of them are kind of longish. Okay, so we will hop into the rest of those in our final segment, and that is coming up next. We are back here at Locked On Canadians. It is the final segment of our Friday Mailbag, and we will be back with an episode on Monday, three up and three down for the All-Star break and everything entailed in that. As always, if you want to send us mailbag questions at LO underscore Canadians, LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. Laura, what else do we have today? Question for the mailbag from Dan on YouTube. Do you think the Habs will even want Pierre-Luc Dubois when he becomes available? I see him making at least $6 million a year, and with Doc establishing himself as a second-line center, I'd rather try and sign Monaghan as UFA for a discount and put him on the third line instead. What are your thoughts? So I think for me, PLD is becoming more and more expendable by the day. I know everybody, like, you know, maybe like a year and a half ago even was clamoring for it. And always, like as you said, there's always smoke and fire. And he's like, he's a hometown boy. And like, he's, you know, not happy wherever he is in, in Winnipeg and Columbus before that, blah, blah, blah. I just don't think the Habs need him. I, I look at this season and Pierre-Luc Dubois in 52 games has 52 points. He's on pace for a new career high uh, in points. He had 60 and 81 last year and he had 61 and 82 his second year in Columbus. So if he's coming off a career year, yes, he's going to be more expensive. I, it is, it is the one of the longest running tales here is that I think if he is available, they will go for it. Um, I think that would, if it's going to be done, it's going to be done either in the first round of the NHL draft or beforehand or um, right afterwards. Because the Canadians draft a winger, let's say, like an Edward Shala, you can tell they're going after someone else uh, as a center. I love the idea of it. He's an established piece, and that gives him three established NHL centers and then Jake Evans is their fourth line center next year. Crazy good depth. It's just filling out the other parts of it in a way that makes sense. And Caulfield's got to get paid still. And unless they ship out some of these contracts, Edmondson, Savard, Hoffman, Armia, Anderson, I don't think they can afford to do that. And not that Pierre Luc Dubois doesn't want to come here, that they don't want him they might just not be able to make the money work because the cap's only going up by a million dollars. It's not a lot of money. No, it's true. But I just assumed they were drafting a center. So I was like, well, they don't need And him. there's also that. We don't <laughs> know what they're drafting That's what yet. they're going to do. So like, they're not going to need them. Um, but it's interesting because like this mailbag has been fun because we're kind of not necessarily on opposite sides, but we're kind of disagreeing on some stuff, um, which, is, which is great. So we've got a question from Bryston uh, Mailbag. 
So if Monaghan gets traded, do you think we'll get a first or a second or a decent prospect? And what do you think a contract for Monaghan would be? Three years at $3 million? I think if they were to re-sign him in the offseason, he probably gets two years to give their draft pick. So that's like Owen Beck, whoever they pick in this draft, some time to work their way into the system and kind of settle a little bit. And he makes a perfectly fine middle six center winger combo. Um, if they trade him because of how long he's been injured, and we still haven't actually gotten our update this week, which is slightly concerning uh, on a lot of different levels. So either they forgot about it or we're going to finish recording this. We're going to find out that his foot has like gangrene or something. Uh, the way he was playing, I think he was going to get a first round pick, maybe not a high first round pick, but a first round pick. And that would be it uh, right now. If we were to get a second round pick and a like current AHL prospect in like that middle tier, I think I'd be okay with it just because he's missed a lot of time. And that just leads to the degrading of value over time there, honestly. Uh, Had he been healthy and rested and not playing on an injured foot and continued to play that well, even if the Canadians were not great, I think a first round pick wouldn't have been out of the question, especially on an expiring deal like that. Our good friend, Richard, the architect. There's reason to be incredibly excited about the Canadians' future with so many genuinely promising prospects coming up through the system. However, I was taking a look through our young crop of players and noticed something. We have a lot of short guys. Personally, I'm not so worried, but how do we feel about the idea of having Caulfield, uh, Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Philip Mayshar, Sean Farrell, Lane Hudson, and potentially one day Vinnie Rohr and Xavier Simoneau all in the same lineup. Would we potentially break the record for shortest average lineup height? It would certainly be a stat to fly under the radar. I see what you did there, Richard. <laughs> I always love yeah. hearing from him. <laughs> Here's the thing. Lane Hudson's apparently growing like mad. He's almost six feet tall now, which is just wild to me. But like, there is, it is not unreasonable to expect that in the next two years, there could be a power play that contains Cole Caulfield, Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Lane Hudson, Sean Farrell, and then a Mashar on there at, on any number of pairings. Obviously, Nick Suzuki and Kirby Doc will be in there somewhere too, and that'll bring the height up, but height doesn't matter. Nick Suzuki uh, bringing the height up. <laughs> I know. Nick Suzuki, who's like six foot one, I think, at six foot one. Uh, he's 5'11". He's yeah, yeah, on a good day. Mm-hmm. but I think that's fun because imagine you get scored on and you look to see people celebrating and they just skate under your eye level and all you see are just gloves in the air. How do you <laughs> feel about that? Like if you're nine feet tall and just watching a bunch of what looks like lost toddlers scoring on you, it's admittedly <laughs> very funny. No, I'm excited about this. So thank you, Richard. Um, and like you said, there's a lot to be excited about. So we've got a few more questions. I'm going to start with our good friend, Blaine Potvin. Oh my God, you should come back. Uh, if we could ins- if you could invent a hockey conspiracy what would it be Jeff Molson is the is blocking the return of the Quebec Nordiques because he doesn't want to split beer profits in the province of Quebec See he keeps saying he's fine with it but I don't think he is um, I mean when you get all the media coverage and all the attention Kind of makes sense uh, as I take my tinfoil hat off over here and put it into the corner for now. 
Mine would be that the Toronto Maple Leafs keep losing in the first round on purpose, but I can't think of a reason why they would do that. But that would be the conspiracy that I would invent, is that they keep doing this on purpose. When Have they already done their 100th season celebration? I think so. I think it was a, a couple of years ago, maybe? I don't know, because they don't have much actual history worth learning about. But um, my thought on that is they're waiting for some kind of like big celebration year where they're going to make a big deal out of it, and then they're going to win in the first round, and everyone's going to go, yay, and then they're going to lose in the second round because they're actually not as good as they think they are. And then they can but... do that for another 24 years. Bingo. All right. That that would be the conspiracy I invent, but I need a compelling reason to kind of just, you know, disseminate it. Uh, we've got a question from Nico. According to David Pagnotta, the Habs are interested in Timo Meyer. Would you make the trade, and if so, what would the Habs have to give up to get him if the Habs were contenders right now yes the Habs are not contenders for anything except for a top five pick right now uh and we look at what Bo Horvat cost Timo Meyer is roughly that potentially more because he might be a better overall player that means at least a first at least a top end prospect and at least a top six, middle six NHL player, probably plus one more in either direction. I can't see them doing that this year. And there's no reason for them to do that this year, which means probably Kent Hughes will do it. And also Timo Meyer is seeking $9 million allegedly in the offseason, which fair, but we do not have the money for that. They don't have the money for it. Uh, KCD asks, what are your thoughts on NHL All-Star Weekend? it's a fan event that does not translate well to being on TV for people watching at home, which of course leads to my favorite Twitter watching time of the year where everyone complains about the all-star game and the events while watching every single second of it. Uh, Having done an all-star game in person for the AHL, it is a lot of fun in person. It's all about the fans that are there and it's mainly a fan event over the, that week and weekend. It just doesn't translate well to TV, and I'm kind of wondering what the NHL can do for that. And my thought is, for the like skills contest broadcast in between games, they need to Manning cast it, basically, and get other players or former players and stuff in the booth and just let them goof on players the entire time. Make it more fun. Take it as non-seriously as possible. It's an all-star game. Players are going there to party and shoot pucks in tiny nets and wear ridiculous outfits in the skills competition. That's it. Uh, we've got two more mailback questions, but I'm going to ask them at the same time for a reason. So the first one is from John saying, why are the re- reverse retros so cursed? And then the next question is from our friend Robert. Um, Robert Rice. Next year, when the aim is likely to start winning games, what is the off-season plan to dispose of the reverse retro jerseys? A, throw them in a volcano. B, sink them into an underwater abyss. C, put them in a rocket and aim it out of the solar system. Uh, my thought is, is that um, luckily the reverse retros aren't coming back next year. It's a every other year, every two years kind of thing. So we don't have to worry about these next year. But we I will think have they're... to worry about it two years from now. Maybe the curse will be broken by then. Who knows? Um, my thought is one, don't make the next ones blue. And these ones, despite being exposed blue, didn't pay enough 
homage to it, homage, homage. It's late. Uh, there were a lot of good fan mock-ups that had they picked those, I think they wouldn't be as cursed. It's because they're good, but they're not great. And I one, don't make them blue. Bring back the white ones from, uh, I believe it was the 2010 season. Uh, so bring those back. Or it might have been before 2010. Saku Koivu wore it, and they were dope, and I loved them. Uh, bring back an alternate white or do something barber pole. I don't know. Make them wild, and maybe they'll win more games. Uh, and okay. as for disposing of them, uh, flamethrower. Just straight right, up flamethrower. I was about to say. I was about to say, like, you talked a lot about, like, what they should do, except for what the actual question was, was which is how do we get rid of these for good? Um, I like the rocket idea because it goes into a different solar system. I mean, it's all one solar. Well, no, hold on. Solar system, galaxy, unit. Anyways, just launch them into the sun. It's fine. So when <laughs> eventually the sun dies out, they'll probably have survived that too and crash back down to Earth. So... Uh, is that it for mailbag questions, Laura? That is it for mailbag questions. As always, you can send them to us at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. You can also follow us. Uh, you can send them to LockdownCanadians at gmail.com. You can follow Laura at The Active Stick. You can follow myself at Scott Matla. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your daily podcast or if you're watching on YouTube. Ring the bell to be notified every time we go live. Folks, we will see you during the bye week next week.